Welcome to your Actives Tech Brief podcast. I'm Molly Colleen, and this week we'll be discussing the UK's upcoming competition reform. Last year, the UK government published its plans for the overhaul of its competition regime, with particular ramifications for digital markets. The Digital Markets Competition and Consumer Bill is expected to be introduced to Parliament this spring, meaning it could be in place before the end of the year. To discuss what this means for tech regulation and how the UK's approach compares with the EU's, I'm joined today by economist Dr Andrea Coscelli, who was Chief Executive of the UK's Competition and Markets Authority between 2016 and 2022. So welcome, Andrea. To start off, could you give us a brief overview of the bill and what it's intended to do? Yes. So there is a a bill that hopefully will be introduced in the coming weeks in the UK Parliament, which is essentially uh, trying to do three things. One is to set up a digital regulatory framework for the UK for the first time. Secondly, uh, to uh, upgrade essentially some of the competition powers that the Competition and Markets Authority has. And thirdly, uh, to change quite substantially the enforcement of consumer protection law in the UK. And how significant a shift are these proposals for the UK's competition regime, especially in terms of tech regulation? Yeah, I think in terms of tech regulation, this is probably the area where the bill uh, would make a very significant difference compared to the existing position. So the Competition and Markets Authority for the last few years has been uh, addressing the the issues in in tech uh, using essentially powers that were given to it by parliament around 20, 25 years ago, uh, obviously at a time where there was very little uh, in terms of digital activity. And in parallel with many other uh, competition authorities around the world, the Competition and Markets Authority has realized that these powers are insufficient to deal with the scale of the challenge and the number and complexity of the complaints uh, that come to it from various businesses. And so uh, this bill, this draft bill, which essentially reflects uh, discussions and reports that have been published over the last three or four years uh, in the UK and a very much a parallel discussion in the European Union and a number of other jurisdictions uh, would uh, give very significant new powers to the Competition and Markets Authorities with the creation of this Digital Markets Unit and uh, the legal powers to uh, essentially regulate a handful of companies that will have strategic market status and that overall framework will essentially uh, allow uh, the the Competition and Markets Authority to uh, more quickly address a number of problems that are currently in front of it. So, as you've already mentioned, the reforms include the creation of a new body, the Digital Markets Unit, or DMU, which will oversee the new regime's application to the biggest tech firms. The DMU was established in non-statutory form last year, but the new bill is set to give it formal statutory powers. What has the DMU done so far and what will it look like once it finally has legal backing? Statutory backing is really important because essentially uh, the government has uh, funded the Digital Markets Unit, partially funded for, for the last couple of years, which has allowed the CMA 
to uh, hire personnel. There are around you know, 50, 60 people at the moment that have been hired through the digital markets unit. And initially that unit has supported the government in designing the regime. There was quite a lot of work in 2019, 2020 that the Competition Markets Authority did with Ofcom and the Financial Conduct Authority, which are two important regulators in the United Kingdom, to really think through the best examples of regulation. Uh, so think quite hard about processes and, and, and substance. And that led to a piece of advice to government, which then led to the, to the draft bill that is um, being worked on at the moment. And over the because of the delays uh, over the last couple of years in the legislative process, the Digital Markets Unit essentially has then helped the rest of the CMA uh, through the portfolio of digital cases that are currently in front of the CMA. So by the time I left the CMA at the end of July, the CMA had a fairly substantive portfolio of competition cases, so cases against uh, Apple, against Amazon, against Meta, against Google, uh, and a number of consumer protection cases in areas like fake online reviews um, and social media endorsements. So uh, essentially, the DMU so far has been, has been resources and people that supported the overall digital portfolio. The day after the, this bill receive, receives uh, royal assent, and essentially the, the CMA acquires these new powers, new legal powers, then obviously the portfolio will shift quite significantly, and the CMA will devote considerable resources to this new digital uh, framework. And so, coming back to consumer protection law, the bill also contains significant updates here. Could you elaborate on this and? Tell us what it could mean for online platforms. So I think that also will be a very significant change. Uh, the current consumer uh, protection regime in the UK, again, is a regime that was conceived at a time when the economy was analog. And at the time, Parliament didn't give uh, to, to the Office of Fair Trading, which then became the, the Competition and Markets Authority, the power, for instance, to levy fines uh, against companies for breaches of consumer uh, protection law and also didn't allow the, the Office of Fair Trading and then the Competition Markets Authority to take direct decisions, so to act as an administrative body, which is what the CMA does for the competition cases. And so the CMA has essentially to go to court as a prosecutor to try to convince a court that has been a breach in a very particular set of uh, instances. And also the CMA can only try to convince the court to give redress to the consumers affected. Now, the redress can work effectively in areas where the, the breach of consumer protection has caused you know, a direct monetary harm to consumers, because then the CMA can try to quantify that and, and the money can be given back to consumers. But in areas where firms um, engage in practices which are problematic and potentially illegal under consumer protection, but they don't cause a direct financial harm to consumers. It's very difficult to think in terms of redress. So in practice, the CMA in the last few years has had a number of uh, consumer protection cases in the digital space, for instance, on this issue of fake and on online reviews where a number of platforms host 
uh, fake reviews, which clearly create a problems in terms of fair competition between different companies. And the CMA has struggled to get enough traction from these large platforms in addressing the problem because partially was not able to levy fines, which then meant the platforms regarded these investigations as less of a priority. And secondly, couldn't really uh, use the redress powers. So there's been a clear recognition over the last few years that particularly in the digital space, the CMA needs to put a lot of time and effort in these cases. And the results tend not to be as good as uh, consumers and citizens in the UK would expect. And that's why the CMA has asked the government for an upgrade of the powers. And if this now happens with this bill, then I would expect the CMA to devote over the coming years more resources to consumer protection cases in the, in the digital sphere. What parallels do you see between these reforms and what the EU has done with the Digital Markets Act? So there are very strong parallels because essentially the two sets of reforms are trying to address very similar problems, which is that the competition powers have been insufficient over the last few years to address the concerns that the competition authorities have seen. Um, the difference, I would say, is mainly driven, I mean, obviously the main difference is that the Digital Markets Act is now uh, a law in the European Union. And so the discussion in the European Union right now is about implementation of an existing law. Well, in the UK, we still, we're still waiting for a draft bill. There's going to be a discussion in Parliament. And so essentially, the UK is now behind uh, what's happening in, in Europe. The, the difference is mainly an institutional difference. So essentially, the UK, uh, which followed the advice from the CMA when I was there, was to create a, a flexible system where essentially the legislation is quite broad. And then significant powers are given to the DMU to work through codes of conduct, to monitor what's happening in markets and to make changes over time. So the idea is a flexible piece of legislation, but quite a lot of the work will need to be done by the regulator. And potentially uh, there is quite a lot of room for uh, significant exchanges between the companies and the regulator and the third parties, uh, litigation. So there is, the benefit of flexibility, the risk in the UK is that it starts feeling too much like the competition cases and potentially takes too long. The choice in the European Union was to go for something which is more rigid, uh, potentially more difficult to uh, upgrade over time as things change, but has the benefit of potentially quick implementation and potentially quite effective implementation because of the nature of, of, of the law and how it's written. I think the reality is over the next three or four years, both in Europe and in the UK, a lot of time and effort will be spent by the competition authorities and the companies in dealing with the implementation of the DMA and the DMU in the UK. And we will have to wait and see, I would say three to five years from now in practice, which one of the two systems has been more effective at dealing with the problems that we see today. One key difference between the UK's approach and the DMA is that the codes of conduct under the British framework will be tailored to the firms that have been deemed to have strategic market status, whereas under the DMA, gatekeeper platforms will be subject to standardised obligations. 
Could you explain why this approach was seen as the more effective in the UK? Yeah, I mean, I think because of the institutional setup in the UK, whether it's going to be a regulator and hopefully a well-funded regulator, we felt that on balance, designing this bespoke code of conduct was the better way of doing it because we'll have the, the, it will be targeted, it will be bespoke, and we'll be able to change over time as the technologies and our understanding of the issues change. I think in the EU, as I said, there is the advantage that potentially the implementation is quicker and more effective. I think also because of the institutional framework in the EU was potentially less attractive to design a system with you know, a sizable regulator to do uh, you know, very extensive discussions on codes of conduct. And so I think that's why the DMA was designed in a different way. So as I said, I think on balance, I, I, I like the UK approach more, but to be honest, there are advantages and disadvantages to both. And I think implementation is gonna be key and we'll have to see in a few years time what has been more effective. Maybe the other point to bring up is that it, this is all a bit of an experiment and uh, you know the issues are, uh, quite significant. It's the first time that something like this is happening essentially on a global scale. I think other jurisdictions will probably, outside Europe, will probably go down a similar route, so that will also have an impact. And also what's going to happen in the United States in the next few years in terms of the litigation on a number of big cases and potentially legislation will also have an impact. Um, and so we you know, this is a phase, it's a very important phase. Uh, but as always, I think it's very important to monitor and be open and transparent about the outcomes and the, the effectiveness of some of these changes. Great. Well, thank you, Andrea. That's it for today's episode, but you can sign up to receive the Tech Brief newsletter via email every Friday for an overview of the week's digital policy news. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher or Amazon Music. This episode was produced with the technical help of Evie Curie. I'm Monica Lean. Thanks for listening.